Yo, what up? Welcome to another episode of the Oakland Warriors podcast. I'm Patrick, flying solo. Just finished watching the Warriors get their asses handed to them by the Utah Jazz in Utah. That game was just a game against a really, really good team that was up for them. Now I know what it was like for other teams all those dynasty years uh, to get just whooped by the Warriors. This game was never in question. The Jazz got up like 14 to nothing. They hit like their first five threes. And that's just a team that is super familiar with each other. They know how to play. They know everyone's spots. They're just in such a good rhythm. And they're hungry. Unlike maybe the Lakers or the Clippers, the Jazz were up for playing the Warriors and they never let up. Good job, Quinn Snyder, for making sure that his team did not take the Warriors lightly because that's the only way the Warriors would have been able to win this game is if the Jazz kind of were on cruise control and that didn't happen. And honestly, if there's going to be a team coming out of the West, I don't want it to be the Lakers. I don't want it to be the Clippers. So whatever, I'll take the Jazz. If the Jazz are good enough to beat either of those teams in the in the playoffs, then I'm all for it. I like Donovan Mitchell, so that wouldn't be so bad. As much as I disapprove of some of uh, Utah's politics in general, I would rather see the Jazz win than uh, either the Lakers or the Clippers. The Warriors were just basically outclassed. Coming off of that rough Knicks loss, this game was super tough to watch, man. They just couldn't get anything going, and their starting unit just... I mean, the start of the game for the Jazz just highlighted how wonky the Warriors starting unit is still. I swear, man, I said this a couple episodes ago and I see it a little bit more and more. Like Kelly Oubre Jr., he reminds me a little bit of JaVale McGee, but as a wing, you know, has these physical gifts and talent, but sometimes just doesn't have like the best court awareness, doesn't make the best decisions. Obviously, JaVale, his pre-Warrior days, he was known for a little bit more uh, absurdly comical stuff on the court. So I wouldn't put Ubre in that category, but there's times where I just don't know if he's somebody that's going to fit with the Warriors after this season. Right now, I don't know if they could trade him for anything worthwhile, but hopefully he starts bringing some consistency, you know? Man, if they keep him for the whole season, I just don't see them rolling with him into next season. <laughs> I've said this before, and, and it feels like this is probably the best course of action would be to, you know, keep Wiggins. Hopefully we get the, the pick from Minnesota. Hopefully it's in the top six or four to six range. And we draft a future wing and Clay comes back at least 80% of his old self. And we run Clay and Wiggins out there and hopefully have a wing of the future learning behind them. Ubre, in terms of his contract, I just don't see it making sense. I don't see it fitting unless he has such a terrible, terrible season that he would want to do like a make good year. But I mean, at his age, that's not going to happen. So you might just be too expensive in theory for a guy who's in his mid-20s and he's looking to get a, uh, a pretty decent contract. And the way the Warriors cap situation is, I just don't see it making sense. I mean, yes, I would love to have Ubre on the team next year just as a guy coming off the bench, sixth, seventh man or something. But just the numbers, I, I doubt they'll connect at all. You know, what we're seeing from Ubre 
not super encouraging, you know, like as a as a expensive role player. Hopefully he plays better so that he can get paid somewhere else. Steph Curry, he tied and then moved past Reggie Miller into second place on the all-time three-pointers list. It's crazy to think that if he had played last season that he'd be even further along in chasing Ray Allen. On the other end, uh, my man Nico Mannion, he hit his first two three-pointers of his career, so he has a ways to go. On that note, I continued watching throughout the fourth quarter, largely because Mannion was playing. I wanted to see how he would do. His family, his pops, who used to play for the Warriors, or at least got drafted by the Warriors back in 83, I think, they were in the stands. So, you know, the thing about Mannion that I've said before is that I like him because he just looks like he knows how to play basketball as a point guard. He knows how to run an offense. For the most part, he does a good job involving his other teammates and making the right basketball play. I seriously hope he improves because I can see him being a very, very solid backup even as early as next season, assuming he gets like a summer league in and more reps under his belt. Another observation is I'm continually impressed by James Wiseman's ability to use both hands. Like He looks really comfortable going up for shots with his left or right, dunking, layups, all that kind of stuff. So that actually is really impressive to me because that's something you have to learn at a pretty young age. And the fact that he's got it means that as he improves, you know, like he'll be able to go left, go right. You won't be able just to shade him one way or the other for the most part. His game in general tonight was like everybody else, you know. He made a bunch of mistakes. He looked good here, looked bad there. Gobert took it to him quite a few times, but I would just chalk this up to like he didn't get uh, embarrassed or anything like that. Just overall as a team, he kind of fell in line with the Warriors as a team tonight. They just didn't play well in general. Looking past this, I mean, any game against one of the top Western Conference teams is a good barometer and a good reality check to see where the Warriors stand. And this just shows you that they have a ways to go. They're 16 games into the season now, and we always said, let's see how they are in 20 games, 30 games. They got the T-Wolves coming up twice, and honestly, they they better win both of those games. I mean, the T-Wolves are, are bad. They are really like one of the worst teams in the league. But yeah, the Warriors just have a long way to go. This game was just a rough man it was it was really really rough technically you look at the schedule and maybe this is a game that quote unquote they should lose but losing by 30 you know in the second quarter third quarter uh that's that's kind of a shame so that's two stinkers in a row two flat showings overall Steph is out there working hard it took him a while to even get his first shot off in the first quarter but i mean that's kind of the theme of the season right whereas the jazz look like a team that knows each other really well the warriors still look like a a team that is not there yet sometimes they just look like a bunch of guys who are learning each other on the fly still but hey i guess another loss means that we're one step closer to keeping our own draft pick next year that we owe to okc in that Ubre trade there's a positive (laughs) anyway that's another episode of the oakland warriors podcast Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Patrick Epino, E-P-I-N-O, or at Oakland Warriors and check us out at oaklandwarriors.com. That's it.
music in this episode provided by Paper Sun. Special thanks to Paul Amardo for production support. See you next time, and go Dubs.